Good morning, welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. You are with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! And I think our mics were on earlier. <laughs> But it's always nice to pray before the program starts. So. <laughs> no, no, so, so we're coming up to start the show and Lyle doesn't have the mic in front of his face. And so he pulls it in front of his face and then knocks over a cup full of pencils. It's just the funniest thing ever. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's, it's one of those mornings. It is it, one of it those was. mornings. It was. Lyle, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing. Yeah, what are you grateful for? I am grateful for listeners who let us know when we make mistakes. Amen. We have the best listeners ever. We do. It's yes. good. I, I love it. Like, as in, because we're just sitting here with the mics off, like, praying. And then we get texted about it. They're like, uh, w- wake up. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. It is fantastic. What are you thankful for this morning, Lawson? Oh, look, what am I thankful for? Oh, just, just work, you know, just being able to go and work and earn money. It's, it's a great feeling. Yep. I, nice. I feel like, I, like, cause, Right now, I'm in a period in my life. I have a couple jobs. You know, I get to the end of every two weeks. Like, I get paid today, and I have a substantially higher amount of money that goes into my bank account than ever before as a student or a Bible worker or whatever. And uh, it's just it's just a good feeling. You know, I get to go through, pay my tithe, give my offering, put it into my savings account, and then, you know, I have my, my water transfer, transfer there for rent and my bills, and I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. Compared to, you know, just like getting like a hundred bucks a week or whatever as a volunteer and then being like, okay, so I'm this, gonna- is, this is a new experience for you. It's, it just is. It just is. And I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, but I'm thankfully I'm, I'm using, uh, I'm being inspired to use my means for good things. That is absolutely fantastic. You're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith FM, positively different. Okay, it's, it's, just, it's just one of those mornings, Lawson. Dude, it is. But no, we're getting into it, Lyle. I feel okay. good. I feel uh, happy. I actually feel good because in positively different news, actually, I read this as the show, you know, the, the intro jingle was coming in, getting everything ready. I had my stories ready to go. And then I read this and I was like, man, I should talk about this a little bit. Did you know that in the first quarter of 2021, coal-fired power consumption in Australia has hit a record low during the first three months of 2021, the first quarter. That's cool. This is very cool. Obviously, this well, it is- should. It should. The amount of solar panels I see out there. I mean, like what a quarter of the houses when I drive around have solar panels on their roof. So it should be reducing. Should be doing something to reduce the amount of coal mm. that we're burning. It's getting to the point where coal, like coal power as well, is dropping itself in you know the the energy market uh, because you know all these different people and places and companies are providing energy for the grid and coal is like falling off a cliff in terms of its price going from like a hundred dollars per megawatt hour to like 27 dollars per megawatt hour over just the last year because they're like oh we need to get this stuff out cheap so that we can stay in the market because renewables are just killing it there you go so shout out renewables shout out solar energy hopefully it'll bring our uh, energy prices down yeah Oh well, that, that's because our the energy goal. prices are just ridiculously high. But that's where we need to just get solar panels and get paid to be a part of the grid. <laughs> yes, this which, is, is, which is great for everybody who is a homeowner like myself. Mm, for, mm. You know, been a homeowner for uh, about twelve months now and have solar panels, which is fantastic. But for 
a tremendous amount of people that are in the rental market, that's not an option and that's something that you know we really do need to look at because, I mean, hey, that's like half of the population of Australia is in the rental market and they don't have access to bringing down their energy bills. Mm. This is true. All right, Lyle, yes. in other news, uh, I read something else interesting this morning. I'm a university student. I read a story coming out of Delaware State University where some officials there are cancelling up to $730,000 in student debt for recently graduated students who have faced financial hardship during the pandemic. Now, this equals about, you know, this is $730,000 is spread between uh, a around 220 graduates and it's an average of $3,276 of debt relief, which is roughly a third of a year's tuition. And so I read this and I was like, well... That'd be nice for you as a student, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be nice. But at the same time, you pay an exorbitant amount of money to go to university. And then like, this is a third of one year's tuition when like, well, the uh, American university experience is almost always four years. And so I first read this and I was like, this isn't, this isn't like big news. Like this isn't a lot of money. Like this is the amount of money that some unis give out in scholarships alone. But then I started to think like, dude, unis have like copped it the worst during the pandemic in terms of like university establishments. Oh, themselves. Yes. I, Particularly I, here in Australia where we depend, our economy depends so much on Chinese students yeah, coming it, to Australia to well, study. Newcastle Uni has a massive international student base and they're decommissioning a whole like building that takes up a like almost a side of the university itself even though it's still being used just because they lost money on it like well like because they lost millions tens and millions almost hundreds of millions of dollars so i read this and i was like oh man that's kind of you know seven hundred and thirty thousand dollars that's not a lot for a massive university like delaware state university even though delaware is not a giant state but then at the same time i realized like oh man they've got to be losing money hand over fist so to do anything you know that's pretty decent to get these students uh you know worrying less about debt uh, going into employment after they finish their degree. That's probably, uh, people say, like, one of the hardest uh, time periods for students is that, you know, post-graduation, if you haven't just got picked for an internship or a job straight out of graduation, like, uh, you know, you've got a huge amount of debt hanging over your head. They don't have the hex system there. And so, yeah, it's incredibly difficult. And so it's good to see someone doing something, even if it's in the limited capacity that they can do something. Well, hey, let's all do what we can do. Oh, that's yeah. In times of crisis, it always makes the world go around when people do what they can. Yes, this is true. All right, well, last story I have this morning. This was actually kind of freaky. I, like, read this, and I was like, this is, like, the future, Lyle. This is, like, this is like an 80s sci-fi movie come to life. Essentially, uh, a man who lost all movement below the neck due, due to a spinal cord injury in 2007 is fully able to ride again with his mind. Oh, that's cool. So this is like this is this is like okay, the sci-fi. Okay, so, so voice to text. No, 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 no. So this is what they used to do with like muscular dystrophy uh, patients and whatnot, where they do eye tracking or voice to text. No, 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 Lyle. They implanted a microchip in his brain, right? That wrote words that he thought about. 
Okay, so this is not voice to text we're no. talking about. This is mind, mind to text. Mind to text. Oh, that is, is wild because stuff. Every, everything in this area of technology of helping disabled people to, to speak so far, which has that application then further of, you know, what we can do, what, what, what tasks that we can do without our limbs, um, have always been relying on some you know, some movement of the body. If it's not being their hands or whatever, it, it, it then comes down to eye tracking. It then comes down to voice to text. No, this is straight up like some sci-fi stuff. They implanted microchips, two microchips into this guy's, uh, about one millimeter into his brain uh, that are the size of like a, you know, a small Panadol tablet. And uh, the chips have electrodes that record neurons in the motor cortex, the part of the brain that controls movement, and literally read his brain. And he's able to write. And now, at first, uh, in the initial studies that they've done, he's been able to write, write at about 18 words per minute, which doesn't sound a lot, but... Average phone texting, phone texting is pretty slow, is around 23 words per minute for an adult. And at first they found that he had a spelling mistake about every 18 to 19 characters. So then they switched autocorrect on and it's like less than 1%. So he's like fully functioning texting brain without speaking, without moving his eyes, without anything, just thinking and it's going into the computer and happening okay so does this then mean that we can get a printout in the morning of what we dreamed overnight well i i guess if your mind is writing stuff yeah you know could you just download that whole thing and hit you know control p in the morning it's like oh that's what i dreamed about last night that's kind of freaky because I'm thinking about how this works. I'm like, uh, you know, my initial reaction to that would be like, oh, you know, he's just putting stuff into text. But somehow this microchip has to read the brainwaves going on and convert that into information that yes. is compatible yes. with a computer. So obviously it would have the reach to go into that at some point in the future. Okay, so what if you, wanted, what if you want to, um, you know, to interrogate a terrorist? Can you print out what they are thinking? This is literally like there's really there's a really TV show you know, I, I don't talk about TV shows often here but there's a TV show called Black Mirror that's all about this idea of like microchips in the brain and it's like man is this our future this is this is this is art catching this is this is reality catching up with art you're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM positively different anyway we need to talk about some more serious news here this morning. Um, so where should we start? Uh, let's do a, uh, oh, uh, we should talk about prizes and phone numbers. Okay. So we have numbers to call. That's 1-800-324-843, or you can text us at 0491-064-669. And the prize is, man, we are having one of those mornings. This prize is just eluding us. It's running, it's running away from us, but it's not from It's you. an amazing prize. Just call in and get it. Yeah. Yeah. Basically that's, that's essentially the truth. Yes. That's, that's the truth of it. All right. Well, uh, let's see how many stories again. we can get through in a short space of time. South right. Carolina has just brought back the firing squad for the death penalty. They have not executed anyone in South Carolina in the last 10 years because of a lack of available uh, lethal injections. And uh, uh, people on death, penalty, death row have a choice between lethal injection or electric chair. And, of course, they have been choosing the lethal injection because the drugs haven't been available. So they have brought in the option of the firing squad. So that is an interesting uh, turn of events there. Of course, the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. 
And as a result of that, I oppose the death penalty because when you take somebody's life, you close their probation. That is not a decision that we as human beings should be taking ourselves. Mm. Okay, so that's what's happening there. Let's say we did go to India. That's right. COVID update coming out of India where they are losing 60 priests a week. Yeah, this is what I was thinking. You're like, oh, most priests being, you know, died ever and i'm like oh well isn't that like everyone in india at the moment no this really is this is just far above the nat- national average of course christianity is a mi- christianity is a minor religion in india uh catholicism is 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 large amongst christianity but there are not a lot of priests in india mm. you know unlike you know say for instance south american countries or like or something like that yeah. so 60 priests a week is way above average, and what they're Mm. also finding is that the average age of the priests who are dying is much younger than the average age of your typical COVID patient. And so that's one of the things that they're kind of like, what's going on here? We need to look into this. We need to understand a little bit about it. And so, of course, there's a couple of factors that immediately come to mind, and that Mm -hmm. is that single men are always more vulnerable to every type of disease than married men. Uh, Okay. That's just a statistical reality. Okay. Okay. So, so, so Lawson, that applies to you. It does not apply to me, but so it does apply to I you. You are more likely to, to die. get married. Yeah, you do. You will live longer if you are married, <laughs> on average. On average. Uh, another issue has been the greater isolation mm. that uh, priests have suffered. You know, as a result of lockdown, because they don't have partners, mm. and so you know, this I guess applies to all single men but priests in particular, and, of course, the increased level of exposure because in the Roman Catholic Church to have salvation, one of the rites that you need to have is the last rites. Mm. And so these are individuals who are at people's bedsides when they're dying constantly, so they're constantly being exposed, and so are naturally going to be vulnerable to a much higher rate of infection. Now, of course, that same requirement does not exist amongst other religions, mm. uh, particularly you know, other versions of Christianity. They're going to say that, well, you don't need to have a particular right on the way out to receive salvation. You just need to have a connection with Jesus Christ, have accepted mm. him as your Lord and Saviour, and have surrendered your life fully and completely to him. What's interesting about this is how it parallels the Black Plague in history. And so if you go back to the time of the Black Plague in history when it wiped out, you know, one in five people in Europe, Mm. uh, thereabouts, once again the priesthood took the heaviest brunt of it to the point that to be able to get people into heaven, and this is this is an interesting piece of history, the Catholic Church had to ordain just all kinds of random people as priests because people had to be able to perform the last rites. And what that created was an incredibly ignorant priesthood which created the environment, which was part of what was responsible for creating the environment that brought about the Great Reformation of the 16th century. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of people don't look at the Black Plague as one of the causes for the Great Reformation, but the Great Reformation was able to gain as much traction as it was because of the high level of ignorance in the priesthood that was a carryover from the time period of the Black Plague when the last rites had to be performed, there was no one to do it, and so they just started ordaining anyone and everyone. It'd be interesting to see whether the same thing was to happen in India mm. with COVID. 
so yeah and then anyway. they'll have their own reformation Day. okay right, so that's that story what else did we say that we talk about uh let's uh, let's go to this story over here very quickly we'll do a quick uh, rundown we've got a number of stories here that are all along the same lines um, a decorated U.S. Army major has just been brought up on charges on a number of offences for expressing his views on Facebook in relationship to uh, trans uh, people being a part of the military. Mm-hmm. His views were both an expression of his religious position on the subject and also the current military uh, position and doctrine. So they, he was he was expressing. This is what the military stands for. These are my religious views. He's now been brought up on charges for supporting the military, the military. and his uh, personal views. Uh, okay, so who's who's bringing him up on charges? Uh, the military is. He's being court-martialed for it. Uh, so this is Major Andrew <laughs> Colvert. He is a uh, chaplain in the United States Army, and it's you know being obviously appealed. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of weird when, you know, we have chaplains who are not allowed to present standard, basic Christian doctrine. No, Why do you have chaplains? Standard, like, this is his job, like, <laughs> standard, basic, military doctrine. Yes, but it wasn't woke. That is, n- neither is... While I'm on that same subject, let me give you a quick rundown from around Yikes, the world when it comes to uh, religious liberty. The law student in... Uh, law student in... Scotland, a former motor mechanic, so she is a former motor mechanic, has been expelled from her university because she stated that men are physically stronger than women and that women have vaginas. But but she's a woman. Yes. So she has the right to say that. Uh, no, she doesn't. She's been expelled. Um, and this, of course, was in, in response to a claim that all men are rapists and pose a threat to women. Oh, so they're the ones who have been uh, turned into heroes, the people who said that all men are rapists and are a threat to women, while she's been expelled for saying that men are physically stronger than women and have vagina. Now, she would know that men are physically stronger than women because she's a motor mechanic. But she's also... She's lifted gearboxes and engines and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah, no, but she's saying this in, res- in, in, in response to this assertion that all men yes. are rapists. Uh-huh, but that's and, not bigotry. And she's making the point like, oh, yes, like... Because is she she speaking against the point that all men are rapists? Yes, and and she but she still says like oh there is a contributing factor to that stereotype and that is that men are stronger than women. It was part of the discussion, but and now she's being expelled. How does that even happen? Uh, she actually made this comment in class, and they halfway through the comment they shut her microphone off. But anyway, um, uh, just. Continuing so she technically on around, didn't even say it. Continuing on around the world, uh, Felix Ngovi uh, put a religious post um, on his views on sexuality on Facebook. He was expelled for uh, posting his views. Canadian feminist uh, Megan Murphy stated that men aren't women. She was banned from Twitter. Francisco Contreras said, this is in, the, in Spain, men cannot get pregnant. He was banned from Twitter. Uh, he also said that men don't have ovaries or eggs. This is the world in which we live. This is the world of bigotry and hatred and bullying and uh, ideology and not a world of science or reason. You sometimes think, well, Christians, are we really the only people, the only voice of reason that is left in the world today? It's sometimes you feel that way. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. 
All right. Well, joining us on this morning is on the phone this morning is David Haupt. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. Great to be back with you people again this morning. Now, David, you always join us every week to talk about emotional health and relationships uh, from your work in counselling and so forth. We have a question that came up in the middle, well, as part of our conversation last week. And that question is about premarital sex. Now, this is a bit of a controversial one because even amongst Christianity, there is a very large portion of the um, of of you know Christianity in general that would see no problem with premarital sex. Of course, we've got the Bible, who, which says some pretty strong things against fornication and speaks of fornication as being a sin. There is, you know, the I guess the very logical argument that you hear so often that you know try before you buy. So why would you sign up for something for the rest of your life unless you uh, uh, know that you're going to be happy with it? Uh, there seems to be some arguments both ways on this one. Is the Bible just giving an arbitrary moral statement here, or does is there actually something behind what God is saying that actually makes sense? How can you help us out with this one? Isn't the Bible maybe outdated? We live in modern times where people can make choices of their own. You know, the, the reasoning that so many people argue here is that um, in the olden days, people married in their late teen years and therefore didn't get all the temptation that uh, young people are facing today. So they they were able to engage in sexual activity as their hormones started to drive them and were happily married because um, they had that experience uh, long before the time. We live in a different age and therefore, uh, oh, just, just, just hand me a pair of scissors and I'll cut some of the text out of my Bible because those texts doesn't apply to us anymore. Um, one of the big arguments that people raise is that we can't control ourselves anymore because we engage into marital relationships so much later than in the past. The desires are there and therefore it's inevitable that um, I must have sexual intimacy long before I get married. Now, let's look at that argument and and question it. So is pornography, porneo, fornication, which is the Greek word for fornication, about porneo, where the word pornographic comes from, is that acceptable? There is sufficient research that tells us that uh, pornography is in actual fact changing the brain construction in exactly the same way as what street drugs uh, changes your brain. So it impacts our relationship and decimates the marital relationship, especially the sexual relationship later in marriage. I've personally worked with men that cannot maintain their physical relationship in marriage with a spouse, except if pornography was busy playing in front of them in the presence of being intimate with their spouse. So that clearly states to me that is destructive to the marital relationship. So if if this argument is true, then pornography must be also something that is allowed. So what happens with stealing? What happens with um, alcohol and, and drug misuse? What about all the other lusts that I have in life, um, does that also fall into the category? 
Yeah, this is a really, really valid question. And I guess, you know, one of the things that sort of comes up in my mind is, you know, what does the research actually say and what does it demonstrate? Does fornication actually lead to stronger marriages because people have tried before they buy? Are marriages likely to have a, have a greater chance of staying together? You know, particularly in a society where marriage breakups are so common if, if people engage in premarital sex. So the question that you're alluding to here is does sex produce intimacy and lasting intimacy? So let's look at, at, at the, you know, the facts. Um, sex causes two people to become one. That's what the Bible says, Mark 10, verse 6 to 9. So wouldn't two young people that love each other having premarital sex actually secure a oneness for until death do us part? Um, Dr. Patrick Love um, had in actual fact studied over 100,000 women who were battling with the aftermath of, um, of, of the impact of early teen sexual encounters. And while she says, she says that, uh, I'm, I'm just quoting here, feelings of intimacy is created by a chemical cocktail that is produced in the brain during sex and stays with each person for up to 24 hours after intercourse. So oxytocin is released, what she's referring to. That is the bonding hormone. But over 100,000 women were studied who indicated that premarital sex actually brought for them in their marriage relationship uh, dissatisfaction, unhappiness with the level of sexuality, intimacy, and the prevalence of low self-esteem. We see that, especially in women at college, higher levels of, um, of depression, higher levels of self-esteem problems, higher levels of suicidality happens after early encounter with sexual connections. Is it true that... You know, some people we're just going to be able to connect with sexually and some people we will never be able to connect with sexually. And if that was true, then wouldn't it follow that if you have sex and find out, well, it's not great with this person, I'm going to go and find somebody that it is great with? Or is or is it just a situation where great sex is a learned skill? So in other words, can't sex help my uh, help me determine our compatibility? Yes. To give us happiness for, for the future? So or, or on the take, other hand, can you find compatibility without sex and then uh, once you've made a commitment to each other, as in a marriage commitment, uh, can you turn that compatibility into great sex by learning, by basically practice makes perfect? The the thing that we're driving for is intimacy. And while um, sex involves sexual organs, it's very interesting that prostitutes provide contact with sexual organs, but there's no intimacy. Is that right? Yes. So, so um, intimacy is far more than just uh, sexual connectedness. It has to do with 
communication, it has to do with caring for each other, it has to do with listening, of spending time together, being together, being together in a relationship where two people's hearts eventually become one that then should lead to physical intimacy, which we call coitus. Now, the the notion of take a sex test drive, if, uh, Lyle, I know that you like your four-wheel drive and go four-wheel driving, so let me ask you this question. If you are, if, if you've experienced taking one vehicle for a test drive and that is your only option that you have, what is the likelihood that you will be satisfied with that one versus if you take numerous cars for a test drive, what is the chance that you would become dissatisfied with what you already have? Yeah, that's a very, very interesting analogy right there. And, and uh, as a four-wheel driver, I could probably take that analogy further because uh, as a four-wheel driver, you know, I take a, a four-wheel drive for a test drive. I keep that four-wheel drive. Let's say it's the only one I've ever had. Then I don't have something to compare to, and so I'm going to appreciate what I've got. The other thing that I would do as a four-wheel driver is then work on that four-wheel drive to make it better than what it was, and that's what that's similar to how I see relationships. We start in a relationship, and we shouldn't expect that relationship to start off at perfection. It should be something that we work on so that it actually grows and develops and becomes better. It is actually very interesting that 80% of women that were asked the question uh, whether they are worried, in, 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 I'm talking here about women who know that they and their partners were involved with previous partners sexually, 80% of women said that they regularly worry that their spouse is comparing themselves with a previous sexual partner, which therefore leads to sexual insecurity and intimacy insecurity in the relationship. Take two young people, uh, I often speak to young people on this issue. So take, take two young people, they have met today, they sleep tonight together. How do they feel tomorrow morning? They feel guilty, they feel shame, and most probably in order to feel better, they will come back again, redo it because it gives you a sense of, of emotional lift but very soon, the guy's going to move on to someone else and the girl is going to feel abandoned. Her emotional state is going to go down. Let's take the same couple. They got married today. Tonight, on their honeymoon night, for the first time, they come sexually together. They wake up tomorrow morning. How does that couple feel? The same two young people, the same act a different circumstance. There is permanency in their relationship. How does this couple feel, the second couple? They feel elevated. Oxytocin has been released. They feel that there's bonding. A very interesting fact is that a researcher found that women, even if they marry the guy that they slept with before marriage, releases less oxytocin later in marriage. Remember, oxytocin is the bonding hormone. They release less oxytocin later in marriage during sexual intercourse than couples that waited until the marital bed came together and gave themselves to each other. It seems as though God actually designed us with a very specific purpose, that two people will meet each other, grow together, first 
through communication, through connecting, through sharing, through listening with each other. And as they continue to do so, eventually they commit themselves to a permanent relationship where the physical then takes off. And that communication continues to uh, happen. In couples that have premarital sex, the communication immediately plateaus off. And therefore, later in marriage, even if they would marry later on in life, they have lost the skills of communication and have an inability to work through the processes of how to deal with problems in life. Therefore, they revert to sexuality or sexual intimacy in order to resolve problems because they don't have the verbal and the reason capacity to work through those problems. It sounds like God really, really knew what he was talking about when he told us to wait until marriage. Uh, David, one more question, and that is, you know, you mentioned the insecurities that women experience as a result of being married to a partner who has had, you know, multiple sexual encounters. Is that the same for men? Do they suffer from that same level of insecurity, wondering whether their wife is comparing them to other sexual partners that they've had? We need to remember that women imprint in their first sexual encounter from an emotional perspective. Men imprint from a visual perspective. So women will have the dissatisfaction because most of the times their first sexual encounter had to do, and I'm talking here outside of marriage, it happened outside the security of a permanent relationship. And therefore, they will have a dissatisfaction and emotional struggle later in marriage during intimacy. Males, though, imprints from a visual perspective. And when the visual context is not set correct, we find that men often can't perform properly as men. In other words, impotency and other problems eventually develop. Now, some men learn how to perform uh, and, and therefore would get their taste buds worked up through pornography. So they set the scene similar to what it was in the earlier days with their first imprinting and then want to use the wife, but the wife very quickly picks up on, uh, hey, he's just using me as meat. There's no heart-to-heart communication and connection, and therefore leads in that relationship to dissatisfaction. Mm, David, how this very serious stuff. Thank you so much for sharing with us this morning on this important subject. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.